you all so much for showing up to the Around the World Pavilion and the Overland Journal podcast. Uh, this is an absolute delight for me because Gary and Monica Westcott are without question the most inspirational couple that I've ever experienced in overlanding. In fact, I would credit them for my passion for the subject. So when I was still in the military, I was a multi-sport athlete and I got into the, I first saw the Camel Trophy and that made me realize, wow, this is an amazing thing to do, trucks and multi-sport. And then I started reading Four-Wheeler Magazine and also Off-Road Magazine and Gary and Monica had their stories of traveling around the world in that magazine. And as I read it, I was absolutely wonderstruck with their adventures. I was. I, I remember like underlining and circling like equipment that you use and you guys had this list of stuff and then following your trucks and it made me realize that a life like I live today was possible. So I have so much to thank uh, you both for that. So it's an it's a huge honor for me to be interviewing you two today and to have known you both now for almost 20 years. So it's a sincere uh, pleasure. So thank you both for being on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for the, all your effort in bringing this whole concept of overland travel to the public eye. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we help, but, but you had much more with starting Overland Journal and now this, wow. People, people, people know about it now. A few more know about it now. Sure. <laughs> Special thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI Outdoor Gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at gcioutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. I remember we were at a SEMA one year and right. we're standing around their truck and we're talking with Paul Walker. You guys know the actor, unfortunately, he's passed away since, but we were all just talking about overlanding. There was three of us <laughs> in the conversation and now there's a lot more that are a part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that I'd like to do is just let the audience know uh, where you guys have traveled around the world. So can you give us the highlights of your adventures? What were, what were the big expeditions that you guys have done? First one was uh, driving around South America, starting in Cartagena, Colombia, and when we went down to Tierra del Fuego and then went up the Atlantic to Venezuela. That was in 88, 89, and we were traveling for 14 months. And then you guys have since, the, the one I remember the most was your Trans-Siberia in the wintertime. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I was completely wide-eyed. Like, how is this even possible? <laughs> we didn't know either. They said it wasn't possible, and we had uh, to worry about no food. We knew that. No fuel, maybe. No roads. We already knew that. And if the weather was could be, could be minus 60, minus 70 degrees, which it was on occasion. Minus 60 was a normal day. And then there was the people. Yeah. And and can I tell a quick story about that? Please okay. do. I had been on three camel trophies, and the last one was the one in Siberia. And one of the guys, Mark Vipinoski, was the camel trophy contender. I was just a journalist. And so we went over to his father-in-law's house uh, in, uh, in near Moscow and went to the, to the dacha and had a barbecue and everything. Went back to his father's and I was a part 
apartment and um, uh, had our traditional three shots of vodka. And then we were talking about all the dangers. And we wanted, we were still planning this trip to drive from Maganan all the way across Russia alone. Could we do it? No, no, no. Maybe, maybe you couldn't. You know, maybe we should have a diet. We had gone to the consulate in San Francisco and he said, oh, bring a gun to wild animals. You have to have a gun. Okay. All right. So we're talking to this guy and his Mark's father-in-law. And suddenly he looks at me and he says, feel your pulse. So I did. And then he said, feel your pulse. Look at Monica. Okay. And he put his hand here and he said, our hearts beat the same. We knew at that moment we had tears in us. We could drive across Syria, all Siberia, all of Russia alone because the fact is our hearts beat the same. That's the truth all over the world. And have you found that to be true? Absolutely. 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 There's about 2% of people are bad, but most people are good. They, you treat them with respect. They treat you with respect. Um, you can find help anywhere. So even if you don't speak the language, Americans are worried about that. Doesn't matter. Use your hands. Now you have translators offline. Um, just do it. Oh, it's a funny question. What's the most spoken language in the world? Yeah, I would say it's English. It's like your hand, nope. hand signals. <laughs> that could be. Well, after, after, after smile, broken English is the most spoken yeah. <laughs> Everybody speaks a little bit, you know? So you, <laughs> Almost you, everybody. You were asked about the second trip. So that was in 96. We left in January. We shipped from Tacoma, Washington to Magadan on the Pacific coast. And then we traveled all across Russia for 11 months. Uh, we drove up to Norway to, we wanted to go to the North Cup, which is the most northern point in Europe, but there was a huge snowstorm and the road was blocked. So we went to North Cup and we drove down into Switzerland where I'm from. We hung out with my, my mom's house a lot and we traveled around Europe and then returned finally going back to Scandinavia, shipped to the Faroe Islands, then Iceland. Then the truck was shipped to Newfoundland and then we drove back to California. So that was until the end of 98. So we were gone for three years. And the latest one was in 2013-14. We drove around the world the other way. We, drove, America, right? we did that already. We, we drove to, to uh, Baltimore, shipped to Belgium, and then officially started our Silk Road Trans-Eurasian trip in Portugal at the most western point you can drive to on the continent, and drove all the way to China, all through the stands to China, to the Pacific. And then we took side trips. We went through Mongolia, Siberia, on a new road that didn't exist in 96. From Vladivostok, we shipped to South Korea, spent a month there, and then we shipped a truck back home, and we went to Japan for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was the third trip. And then we were ready to go again for South America in April 2020, but the borders were closed, so we we're hoping to ship early next year. Things changed, yeah, very much so. Very Those fast. of us that are used to travel. <laughs> yes. Well, and Monica probably doesn't want me to talk about her too much, but one of the amazing things you were asking about what changed in our lives in these trips, when we were driving through Tajikistan, following the Silk Road, it's a landlocked country, more than half of it's over 10,500 feet, uh, very third world. And we're driving over a 14,000 foot pass, normal. And we come down, the road was terrible. We were following the Wakan Corridor, which was where Marco Polo went. And so we drive down to a, a level of about 10,000 feet, and there's a little village there and a little creek running across. So it was kind of coming off a river, and the truck was trashed. So we backed into the creek, got a bucket and our brush out, started washing the truck. Three girls came walking across to this little footbridge. The one at the back stopped and walked out into the water, took the brush in my hand and started helping. She was 11 years old. She had magic in her eyes. We stayed there for three days, met her family, and when we got back to California, we decided to sponsor her. We've been doing that since that time, and she is now
now 18. We just took her on a two-week trip to, to Turkey to open up her eyes to the world. And now she's getting ready to go to university. And we were just it's like, we don't have any children, but boy, it's, that has been a life. That trip changed our life so much, meeting that girl. And it's been the case of all of our trips. It's not the country. It's not the, the, the landscaping. You can see beautiful land. We have beautiful mountains in Colorado and California. It's not the food. You can get the recipes out of a book and cook them yourself at home. What really makes the difference is the people we meet on these trips. That's what is the exciting part of people. And they change us. I mean, we expect our journey to change us in some way, but it's always the people that we meet along the way that actually change us. Well, big time, yeah. And and one of the important things we learned in traveling is don't travel too fast. Take your time. Spend a week, two weeks in one place. You go to the market. No, the old lady's going to recognize you the second or third time. And you have this conversation, which is part of their culture, having a conversation and she'll stick another tomato in. And, you know, you become friends. And these are the memories you keep that you live and, for. And, and part of this don't travel too fast was when I left South Lake Tahoe in 1972 in my Land Rover before I met Monica I was traveling with my girlfriend who started the Turtle Expedition we did it together and we, we were going to South America okay and I didn't I lived in Mexico before I figured you know okay um, I'll be in Guatemala in a couple months no problem but I had read a book by John Steinbeck called Travel with Charlie and he said don't take the trip let the trip take you okay I like that in the back of my head of our back, back of our first t-shirts was when the Turtle Expedition became a reality had to have a name Land Rover was very slow and it was blue we called it the Blue Turtle so we called it the Turtle Expedition okay don't take the trip let the trip take you okay so I started off down South America in my Land Rover and along the way Joy and I broke up like my girlfriend and, we, and I was still going to South America but I wasn't taking the trip the trip was taking me nine years later I was still driving around Mexico doing stories for Four Winter Magazine yeah. and Off Road <laughs> finally I got to South America but that but that, but that the method of that traveling is boy don't take the trip let the trip take you that is so important would you say though that that decision is what helped you then encounter Monica the fact that you had a, that you weren't so focused on the objective you were focused on experiencing the journey is oh that, yeah, yeah is that I, what I, allowed for you to connect absolutely well I've been I've been camping on a beach with a guy who was my travel partner at that time was had to buy somebody that skin dive wouldn't be safe. And so he and I were camped on a beach in Gonzaga Bay, which is on Baja, California. And we had we were getting tired. We ran out of important things like, like ice and mayonnaise and stuff like that. <laughs> so we headed south and there was a there was a place called La Sanidad Hotel, the fly and fishing resort. Mulehe. Mulehe, yeah. And so we, we, we knew we could go there and park the land rover, wash it, and maybe use one of the rooms to take a shower, which we hadn't had for a long time. So we didn't have any water for showers. Just sure. Ocean bay, ocean bay. And that's when Monica and I were sitting all That's together. where I sat. Yeah, people sitting at a table with a couple other girls from Switzerland, one other girl, what? some other some other people from different um, Mexicans, and probably we all we were all just chatting around, you know, the way you do around a table after after dinner. So the question comes up, well, what do you do? And I think Bruce said I was traveling. He said, Oh, I'm 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 a, I'm a carpenter, you know, and I'm just working part time now. And Monica said, Well, I'm I'm a I'm a teacher. I'm going back to Switzerland to teach. And I said, Well, I'm driving to South America. Like, really? <laughs> and, I, and I looked at Monica and I said, Want come <laughs> and she and she, I said, maybe. she said well, be done oh, that's it no more secrets here <laughs> anyway that's wonderful it's incredible how just making those decisions to slow down I think about if there was anything that stands out to me that I would change with my travels is that I have traveled too late so that same area that you went through with the walk-on corridor I did that in about three and a half days yeah um, and you guys probably took, took, many took weeks. a month yeah, yeah. so yeah. well we were on a march route because because we had a certain date we had to enter China. Right. But the other thing I want to say, if you if you love to travel, go travel. Because you'll meet somebody else who loves to travel. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. there are 
are couples or people who meet up and one wants to travel and the other one doesn't and it's not compatible. But if you travel, if you dare to go and travel, you'll meet somebody that yeah. travels. I mean, that's happened to us. We have many friends it happens to. To travel the way we travel, any kind of overland travel, takes a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you want to find somebody that has responsibility. And that's not difficult. But then you want to find somebody that doesn't have any responsibilities, yeah. like a house and a dog and a mother they're taking care of or a child or a job they can't leave for more than two weeks. Those are responsibilities that stick you where you are. Well, the job today there, you can do it on the road. (laughs) So that leads me to the next question. Without it being a definition, what does overlanding mean to the two of you now that you've done it for so many decades, nearly five decades of your life? We've done it before the name was created. (laughs) There was about herding cattle at one point in time. So what does it mean to you guys? I didn't have a direction, you know. I've, I've been teaching swimming. Uh, I was cooking in a restaurant. I was hammering nails. I had been uh, I had been studying pre med for be, to be a veterinarian in, in college. And I worked at a kennel and found out, oh shit, all dogs aren't like mine. I had a border collie, so I said, I'm not going to spend eight years going to school to take care of mongrels that people can't take care of. You know? <laughs> so I just stopped that right there. So sure. what am I going to do? So I switched to photography because I've been editor of the yearbook and school photographer in high school. And and then I thought, where I got this idea, you know, I think I. I I took a girl out with dinner on Exploring Exchange in France, and she got the, gave me the book. I saw her pictures. And I thought, well, okay, let's do that. I, I think, and then people living in the commune that I was living at the time had been, had gone to Nepal. I thought, wow, let's tell them that, okay? So I put my backpack on, got a plane, left my car with a friend in San Diego, and flew to Amsterdam, damn square, where everybody met. 69. I started hitchhiking. So overland. Yeah, what, how about for you, Monica? Well, I'm Swiss. I was born in Morocco. I did my school in Switzerland, and one of my dad's goals was that we would be kids would live abroad for a year because he knew what he brought him living in Morocco. Just change of life experience, no learning a new language. So I was kind of raised in that environment. I was 16. I went with four girls to France. Uh, I mean, Europeans do that. They still do that. The travel part, I feel I've done it all my life. The overlanding itself was just kind of a continuation. I was teaching in Minneapolis for a year and then as, as he said, my girlfriend Veronica and I, we drove to California to lay on the beach where it was freezing cold, so we decided to go to Baja. And we had no clue. When you go to San Diego on the beach, you don't get up until 11 o'clock. The sun's up there. <laughs> so we ended up in Mulay, and I met Gary, and here I was in a split of the road. Do I go back to Switzerland, teach again? I'm sure my parents wanted me to marry a doctor or a lawyer, and I become a housewife, or should I go travel? Travel was more fascinating, so that's how I ended up there. And overlanding itself, I mean, we love back packing, camping out in boonies is no big deal. I mean, sleep, waking up in a tent is my most favorite thing to do. I always feel it's kind of a prenatal experience. Traveling with a vehicle was different and easy. We really didn't, and I have to credit you for that, we really didn't know about overlanding or what we were doing except entertaining the people, but we were always somewhere. You know, we never in a four-wheeler magazine office maybe once a year. We were always out in the boonies somewhere doing things. And I stopped punching the clock. I was not working anymore. When we came to the first Overland Expo in Prescott, right, we were at a truck was on display and a man comes up, a retired man with a little folder and he opened it up and here were all our South American stories that were published in Four Wheeler Magazine. And he said, I retired and my dream was to travel in South America and I followed the whole route that we took. 
uh, in several years before that. And that's when it hit us that we, our goal and our purpose in life is to inspire people to follow their own dreams and their own goals. So here we are. You have. Yeah. Yeah, since then we have seen, we've heard so many letters, so many emails, so many people following our websites now. It is true. We have inspired. It's a little bit kind of strange feeling to inspire that many people, but we have inspired we have thousands of people. And it's nice to hear back from them now. So, yeah. and and the, the the one thing, if you are still in a dream stage of wanting to go, they get the DVD or the book uh, called The Secret by Rhonda Burns. It helps you laser focus on what your goal is. Ignore the chatter from everybody else and saying you're crazy just focus on that goal and do it that's one of the inspirational books I that's good because i'm gonna ask you guys about <laughs> one of the things that i've always admired i remember it was at the SEMA, most likely and someone came up and they and they asked you you know how much or do you consider yourself a four-wheeler and you right. said no no i'm not a four-wheeler i'm a traveler i happen to drive a four-wheel drive to exactly. get me where yeah. i want to go and that really stuck with me because it helped me remember and remind myself that the vehicle is a tool for me to get to where I want to see something in the world or someone that I want to meet in the world. And that was also really amazing to, to hear that. These vehicles are tools that we use. Looking back on all of your turtles, what was the one that you kind of loved the most? And what was it about it that you loved the most? Well, it has to be for me to land over the turtle one, not go to the school, you know, because I built it from, from a 109. The dream came to me when I was sitting in a pudding shop in Istanbul, famous place for travelers to meet on the way to the, on the Hashish Trail. Clinton was there and, uh, and, and I'm sitting there having my cup of coffee. I had been traveling now for almost a year. Never mind my little stint in prison in Iran. That's a whole other story. But what I, what I was really tired of is I was tired of taking public transportation. I was tired of looking out the window and seeing what are those people doing? And I was tired of, I'll start Farsi music. Okay, be real. <laughs> and I needed a travel companion. I could not stand in the middle of the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul looking up the aisles and going, oh, shit. Can you believe that? I kind of, I'm not the kind of person I have to. I need to share. So that was that was the impetus for me. And then right then, a Land Rover pulled across the street, a long wheelbase. They popped up their dormobile, and a guy and girl got out. And I said, "That's the way to travel." Six months later, I was walking down the street in San Francisco in a used car lot. There, my 109 was sitting there waiting for me to buy it, and I did it. Amazing. And that was the beginning. So that that was my certainly my first love because that the tire on the hood and the tire on the back and the Land Rover, the whole image of them. The two Land Rovers together, you're going on an expedition. You can just add totally. that image, you know. No question. <laughs> So I said, what turned out to be, it wasn't maybe the best travel vehicle, but with the way I had built it for two people to live, be comfortable and clean and cook. And it was just, a, it, was a, it was a great design for us. And Monica noticed that when she met me. The and kitchen. It worked. It worked. <laughs> and you would have traveled in that for almost 10 years, correct? Nine years. Nine, nine years. years. Nine yes. nine yeah. My dad, I would Yeah, we'll be back. I think the lease that we used to lease was the Turtle 2, the Chevy, but then the Turtle Bino. You know, each one in, in our stage of life was a good vehicle to have. And then the Turtle 4 across Russia, I mean, you... You didn't sell it for almost 10 years because we didn't use it anymore because you felt that was the best vehicle you've ever had. Yeah, yeah. And now the Turtle 5 is it, well, older. It's a little more comfortable. Um, still the same places, but and, we and like we, them all. Yeah, and, and we've learned a lot building the Turtle 5 right. and, and driving it now around the world. I tell people, you know, all the, a lot of these vehicles I hear are wonderful and beautiful. The designs are incredible. Drive it to Silk Road to China and turn around and come back. You will find out what works. Right. Drive it to the tip of South America and come back and find out what works. And we've done that. So that's my image. And now, and if I were to build a Turtle 6, 
on some other drug, there would not be a lot of things that would change because it works. Yeah. Well, yeah. you found out what works for you. Absolutely. Exactly. That's Absolutely. very important for us. Yeah. yeah. It, it built for two people. You're going to build a camper for more than two people. It's a whole different design. Gary also suggests not to buy a new vehicle. Buy an old vehicle and spend the extra money and upgrade it with better, better components yeah. to make it stronger and safer. Yeah. There are millions and millions of pickup trucks out there. Ford, it's okay if you like Ford. Even with the 7.3 engine, maybe mom and pop had one. They pulled a trailer across the country. She wants to get a motorhome now. Truck's been immaculately taken care of. You can get it for practically nothing compared to what a new truck costs. But now eighty, ninety thousand dollars. If you want another steering wheel, okay. Buy a used truck. The reason that that's so important is that because there are so many of them out there, there are thousands of companies at SEMA making products just a little bit better than Ford or Chevy or Dodge could ever use. Right. Bearings, U-joints, water pumps, fan belts, shocks, suspension, you name it. There are products out there just on that 7.3, which is a wonderful engine. We have the one millionth one. There are probably 15 things we've done to that engine. Not to change the engine, just to make it a little more reliable and a little more serviceable. And that is so important to be people to realize. Don't go out and buy a new truck with all these chips and electronics. Buy a used one. Make it better with the money you save. We are. What's that? What's up? Fuel you have to use in the new trucks? Oh, yeah. And all the new trucks have to use low sulfur diesel. Forget it. The 7.3 will burn. I, I, I haven't tried it yet, but I think it would probably drink vodka if you pour it in. <laughs> but that would be a waste. That would be a waste of vodka. It certainly burns any kind of diesel. And diesel all over the world is just diesel. Yeah. Some of it has sulfur. Okay, the engine doesn't care. The engine doesn't care. The catalytic conversion care. We don't have one. That's what cares. That'll tell the engine something's going wrong. Slow down. But the engine doesn't care. It just burns anything. And diesel is the best fuel to use world on world travels. You know, all the trucks use it, and those some of those trucks are very expensive. Like in Brazil or whatever you are, the diesel will always be good. Yeah, we yeah. still have an extra filter, but it has maybe twice in, in South America that we had bad fuel. So it's. And then we can just drain the filter and take it out. We can drain yeah. the filter. So. Yeah, if you pull up behind a Kenworth or a Peterbilt or something like that in, the, in any country, Kamaz and in, in, in Russia, and they're filling up their diesel, their engine costs more than your truck. Yeah. Safe. And it's so much safer to store yeah. cans of diesel. It's so much safer than oh, cans yeah. of I, I shudder when I, when I pull up behind a van and it's got two cans of gasoline. And a propane tank attached to the back. God help them if they, somebody runs into the back of it. It's a <laughs> Well, now that we've touched on the one technical subject I wanted to ask, the next thing that comes to mind for me, because I'm sure people think about this, is having traveled for five decades together. First of all, what have you learned about each other through that time <laughs> that you, you find really made it possible? And then how have you changed your own interactions with each other to make it possible? That's a heavy question. A couple of them. <laughs> I think you need to, first of all, you have to be organized and you sort of have to be in the same group. Mm. If one is really messy and the other one is very organized, that's not going to work. So that's kind of the same concept. Then we share responsibilities and we have separate responsibilities. That said, like for example, when we pack up, I take care of the inside, Gary takes care of the outside. That doesn't mean I don't know how to change a tire. And that doesn't mean he doesn't know how to cook. I have to know in my own mind, I have to know how to change the oil, how to change a tire, how to check the oil, how to check for everything. I can't change a fan belt. It's very, very crucial that the partner who doesn't always drive and does do the maintenance, doesn't do the maintenance, knows the basic things because there could be an emergency. The driver can break a leg, he can be unconscious, whatever. You have to be able to get them to somewhere where it's safe. So what was the question again? <laughs> well, maybe I'll frame it a little different. After five decades of traveling, Four and a half, 45 four and a half, years. Four and a half <laughs> decades of traveling with Gary 
What do you most admire about him looking back at all those years? Oh, he You're recording this, right? <laughs> he, he is very focused on his goals. He does great preparations in the vehicle. Uh, he's a great writer. I think just the ability that we can give each other enough space to travel together for 24 hours a day in a vehicle the size of your bathroom. Well, obviously, in the very beginning, I was traveling with a guy, and the Land Rover was built like all my trucks that I designed. The Land Rover started out that way. It was designed to sleep two people of the opposite sex, okay? So I sat and looked across at Monica. She was a really cute, looked about 18. She wasn't too little older, but she looked 18. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what a cute girl. You know, I want to travel with her. <laughs> Bruce saw you're going to leave. He was going to leave anyway. <laughs> so my first impression was sort of purely physical attraction. Sure. But then, but that doesn't make a relationship. There's an infatuation point. Sure. And then there's a respect point. And the more I learned about who Monica was and how, what her intelligence was and what her compassion for things were, a sense of responsibility without having responsibilities. Remember that part. She didn't, she was able to get away indefinitely without responsibilities. Like when I drove away from South Lake Tahoe in 1972, I didn't have to come back ever. Yeah. Nothing threw me back. No job, no dog, no house, no apartment, nothing. She had kind of that position. She could leave anytime she wanted to, but she didn't have to. And that was a really special thing about her. And then as I learned to live with her and see her sense of responsibility and her abilities to do things that, that maybe I could not do as well, like balancing a checkbook and things like that, you started to get, it gets back down to be Beyond physical attraction, it gets down to respect, and that turns into real love. And a special thanks to Terran Designs for supporting this week's podcast. When you're buying the best for your rig, you might as well do the same for your wardrobe. Terran is the best outdoor apparel on the market and the sharpest looking as well. From their flagship lightweight traveler pants with built-in bug repellency to their innovative fire-resistant campfire puffy, you can pack lighter, stay fresh longer, and push the boundary on adventure. Build your kit today at terrandesigns.com. That's T-E-R-E-N designs.com because you no longer have to look like you live out your vehicle when you actually live out of your vehicle. Thanks again, Taryn. One thing too, yes. while we, when we were in Russia, in Siberia, where we, I mean, it was, it was not dangerous, but we still constantly were on guard. And so it, it was a difficult trip. And what we learned is that we had each other's back, whatever it was, we had each other's back. And I think that's extremely important. Yeah. Stuck on a mountaintop with a storm coming behind us and the land the, the, the truck was stuck in the snow. Pulling a trailer then? Yeah, we pulled the trailer, yeah. I, I just ripped off the mud flaps, backing into the snow, and we knew we had to get over this pass and maybe get down the other side. Maybe we'd get in out, out of the snowstorm. And, and this was already, you know, we, we, we were, if we didn't, we'd be there till spring. Sure. And so the two of us got that truck out of, the, out of there, put the chains on, got over the top of the hill, down, pulled into a, to a, an old barn that the Russians had used, and uh, had a shot of tequila and vodka. Well, you <laughs> so learned. And we realized then that the teamwork that we had was amazing. And you learn that you can actually do much more than you in situations like that. You're much more powerful and they have the adrenaline kicks in and you can do so much more in survival skills than you've ever dreamed you can. Yeah. I didn't have the saying in my mind at the time, but it comes back frequently now, having recently sat down and listened to The Secret again. Ford's famous saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. That's, that's an yeah. amazing thought. Like you said, he sets a goal. You guys have gone for those goals. You've got to be laser. It's got to be a laser point. You, know? you really do. You want to have success or you want to achieve the things that you want to see. 
in life. You got to realize that life will always be hard. There will always be things that'll come up that will yep. delay you from doing what you want, achieving right. your dreams. So since you know that that's always going to be the case, there'll always be something stopping you. You just got to do it. Yeah. You yeah. just got to, it's just never going to change. You got to push through it. And then it's in any in travel or anything in life. In business, in relationships, right. all of those things. And, and, and you have to be realistic about the fact that the essence of adventure is not knowing how it's going to come out. That's right. If you know how it's going to come out, it's not an adventure anymore. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And if you don't like where you are, by the way, you chose it. It didn't just happen. Whether you like it or not, you don't get to choose. You already did. That's well, right. So turn on the engine and move. You can choose it and laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the only thing that we have control over is our reaction to it. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah life right. is completely... Yeah. uncontrollable. Totally. But the only thing we can do is change our view of how we experience it. Yeah. We can be excited and happy and positive about it. Yeah. Um, or we could choose to be grumpy about it or complain or whatever yeah. else. So, Well, one of the things that I like to ask is, and this is wonderful to ask it of you two, if someone was getting started with overland travel, they want to go see the world, what would be, from both of you, what would be your top two or three pieces of advice that you would want to give them if you had just a moment over coffee to talk to this young couple that's about ready to do what you guys did 45 years ago. What advice would you give them? Do they already have a vehicle? They don't have anything yet. They just want to go see the world. Put on a backpack, <laughs> buy a ticket somewhere and hang out as long as you can with the money you have. Well, Gary, we don't have any kids, but Gary always said if he had a kid, what he would do after high school or maybe after college, buy a plane ticket, ask where, where do you want to go, give him, buy him a ticket, give him so much money and say, go for it. Stay as long as you can. Find, find a job, find out who you are. Yeah. And you, you learn a lot about yourself going in a foreign country because you, you have to rely on yourself. You have to make decisions. You have to deal with people who don't speak the same language. And that's how you would start experiencing traveling. No doubt. And, and, and the other thing for sure, and I realize back now and the things that I've read, that, I, that I have accomplished in my life, things I wanted, like my Austin Healy Sprite, um, like uh, uh, the Land Rover, like uh, hiking the Whitewash Trail in Peru, so many little things like that. I got those. And I now, I know how I got them. And I didn't know exactly how I got them, but it was, it was using the basic philosophy of the secret. That system works. Have a dream board. And I didn't even have a dream board. Write it down. Make it, remind yourself. Put it on the wall in the bathroom. I, I laid in bed every morning looking up in my 24-foot trailer before we even thought about going to South America. Maybe we were dreaming about it then. But I had a picture of the Whitewash Range in Peru. It's a big mountain. It's glaciers coming down. Every morning I woke up and I looked, hmm, okay, up someday we're going to hike there. I'd read something about it. Maybe I don't know, but, sure. that, but that was you know that was just a, one of those many things in my life that happened because I was using the secret. Get the book, get the DVD, listen to it three or four times. It's heavy. Oh, that's, but, that's but great it's Absolutely true. Oh, that's great. It's amazing. That was that was the one book that I would say people first. If you have a dream, that will push you into it. Oh, that's great advice. And do you find that now that you've done all of this travel that you found have found out who you are? I think life is a learning process. Yeah. No matter how old you are. No doubt. And it's good because if you if you stay put, you get stuck. Yeah. So yeah. you evolve. Certainly. certainly Hopefully for the better. Once you lose your health, you never appreciate it until it's gone. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the only thing. Keep staying healthy is really important. But I, I love the saying I've just recently learned it somewhere in a book or something. You didn't know what day you were. You did not know what day you were. How would you be? Yeah. I'm going 38. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
love it. You can choose it. <laughs> I love it. Age is just a number to put yeah, on yeah. Side of the calendar, you know, but you've no, got, it's how you feel in your heart. You know, I'm still looking at pretty girls all the time. Hey. <laughs> on the book subject, other than the secret, what are some other volumes that have inspired you? It can be on any subject, things that, and these, this is a selfish question that I always ask because I love to read. So uh, what, what books would you recommend to the audience? You should have told that story we've asked it before. <laughs> I think I started getting hooked on traveling as a teenager. Um, one of the most inspiring books was Afghanistan by John Mitchell. That's just the one that sticks out in my mind. And there are other German books that I read that by a famous writer who you can't get them in the States. So. But it, it, it seems like it, I have always tended towards traveling, adventure traveling. So um, other than that... That's, well, a, that's a good one. So The Secret in Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, and of course, you two have written several books. So make sure you guys look up the books that you've written. No, we, he we, co-authored some books. We don't have yeah. any books. Yeah. I haven't written a book yet. People, people, people ask us. We definitely have co-authored some. I have some yeah. on my shelf. Yeah, well, <laughs> people keep asking us, but yeah. we're others traveling. Have more fun. Yeah, they're writing on it. I'm going to open it up to some questions you have in a few minutes. A book. Is there a book that well, you want to share? Well, certainly the, the, the Jack London books inspired me a little bit about writing and traveling. Certainly, I just reread Old Man in the Sea again. Yeah. Steinbeck and traveled with Charlie that certainly gave me an impetus but I have to say the one book that probably really changed my attitude and I'm not a religious person I don't go to church my mother was, was, a, was a Christian she raised me to believe in doing other others that you would have to do unto you the golden rule okay but I, I read a book by um, Nicholas Gottmasakis Thorpe of the Greek and he recorded his whole life well it was the book was called was, Report to Greco Report, Report to Greco was about his life and he spent his entire life and he was a teacher of philosophy her, a writer, a priest, he was a Buddhist, he was everything. He spent his whole life looking to God. Where is God? Who is God? And finally, sitting in his yard, I believe, when the flowers were blooming, on Crete, where he was born, he found out that God is everywhere. And that was just uh, such a relief to me to find out that I was part of God. He was. And that's what he found out. He found God. And yeah, that was a, you know, a very important uh, time in your life when yeah. you were traveling and yeah. Coming back from Nepal. Yeah. And you guys have seen so much. So you've been able to experience all of that magnificence of the world around us. Yeah. Um, I want to open it up to some questions. But sure. before we do that, how do people find out more about you? What's your social media stuff and your website? And how do they find out more about the Turtle Expedition and Gary and Monica? So we've had a website for a long time. Um, it's turtleexpedition.com. Um, we are not as active on social media as we should, but you'll find us on Facebook under Turtle Expedition or name, Scary Monica Westcott. Same on Instagram and Twitter. I promised myself I'll post a little more. but <laughs> well, maybe not. I took Keep a traveling. break. Well, <laughs> I, people want to hear about it. And maybe. if you go on our website, if you have personal questions, um, there's, a, uh, there's a contact button. You can write to us and we we'll always write back. When we do have blogs, there's a section on our homepage that says sign up for news, right? So we should subscribe to news. There you go. So right. every time there's a new blog, no matter whether it's about the engine that I just posted or whether it's about something else, traveling, uh, travel, uh, you'll, you'll get a notice that just there's a new there's a new blog. You can look awesome. at it or you can delete it. All right. Any questions from the audience for Gary and Monica? If you'd like to ask, we got the OGs right here in front of you. So. Yeah, how do you uh, finance your uh, journeys? Well, we're not rich for sure. Uh, we have a lot of sponsors on our big journeys like. 
driving around South America and driving around uh, si- Siberia, across Siberia in the winter time. We had Ford was a sponsor. They supplied our trucks. We have Goodyear supplied our tires. Amazon supplied our oil. Uh, Rainex was a big sponsor. Windows shoe covers. A lot of little sponsors like that paid us a little bit to, to keep their logos on our truck. We're sort of like a race car. When you see Pennzoil on the front of a Formula One car, they don't use Pennzoil in the engine. They use some special formula that's developed just for that engine. And they rewrote the engine after every race anyway. It doesn't matter. But people see that. Exposure. Name exposure of a major product. And we gave companies a major amount of exposure in magazines with full covers and, and inside double pages and, and magazines about, about what tires we used and what winches we used and what lights we were using. And that has that paid off in the terms that we would get financial sponsorship to do some of these extensive uh, travels. Because in a race car, the way to get exposure is you win or you crash and you get exposure. We never crashed. We always won because there was nobody else in the track. We created the race and I covered it. Hey. But that was not in the beginning. No. In the beginning, Gary wrote an article. We sent it in. We got a check. We moved to the next place. So it was definitely hand-to-mouth operation. We just, just stay put longer in one place. The fuel is the most expensive part. And so for years, and he only wrote for, for, for Off-Road Magazine for years, for about nine years. Yeah, well, and then for Wheeler. Slowly I started writing. And as, as we got into, as we started having the exposure and people started na- taking notice and uh, companies started taking notice uh, how much we were in the magazine, that's when we got approached, uh, like Ford offered us a truck. And eventually during the 90s, when everything was flush, we turned into financial sponsorship, which in 2000 stopped. Yeah. Then we had some trips for a while in the early 2000s. And then Gary started writing for many different magazines, not as Peter out a lot, but we are, you know, retirement age. So he was still writing. He was still writing every once in a while. So it, Back then, I, we found out that, that, that there are magazines just like Four Wheeler in practically every country. So I started contacting those magazines. We would send the exact same story to Japan, to Australia, to, to England, to, uh, to France, to Argentina. with the same selection of slides. There's no cross-reading. Same people in Japan would read the story. And they would put a picture of uh, the Land Rover parked in front of the Boeing's in the, in the mascot lines. Or we would put a little picture like that. NASA, uh, Japan did a full spread. That was a different mentality of these magazines. But it was the same pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with that picture. And, yeah. and you, you, you're hearing the hearing that he's talking about slides. Okay, this is a totally different era now. Uh, we came back from Russia with 365 rolls of slides. That's like 10,000 slides. So they're still in boxes. Um, I think slides, I told chrome. Yeah. <laughs> so now with the media and many more people doing the same thing, it's just a different ballgame. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. Thank you so much for sitting and participating in the Overland Journal podcast. 
all of you listening make such a difference for us. And it's an honor to share all of this with you as well. We'll all stay around after. Uh, if you've got any questions for Gary and Monica or myself, then look forward to chatting with you. We'll be at the truck, which is over there. There you go. We'll check out the truck. <laughs> Thank you.